What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Hello, this is The Review, a podcast from the Atlantic's culture team about movies, television, and all the things we make to entertain ourselves. I'm Sophie Gilbert, a staff writer at The Atlantic, and I'm joined today by two other staff writers on our culture team, David Sims. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Realize I should do a Batman voice. Uh, David Sims, doing his best Batman, Uh, and Spencer. Should I do the Riddler one? Hi, Spencer. Hello. Is that how the Riddler talks? I mean, he just, he would do anything other than speak in a normal voice, it seemed like. So, right, he's, yeah. he's, he's moving <laughs> octaves up and down, I guess. Yeah, he's right? like Mariah Carey. Be at the top of the bottom, right. Um, how are you both doing? How are you surviving the drops epidemic in Gotham? Mm, yeah, we, we've got to do something about it. But, you know, the, the, the answer is not turning to costume vigilantes. It's expanding the social safety net, personally. That's how I feel. Yeah, yeah. I, I did like that as the message from the movie we are here to talk about today, which is obviously The Batman. Articles are very important. The newest film iteration of The Caped Crusader. It is directed by Matt Reeves and stars Robert Pattinson as Batman slash Bruce Wayne. The movie is already the highest grossing film of 2022. Um, but this is surprisingly the first standalone Batman movie in 10 years. I think The Dark Knight Rises came out all the way back in 2012, which makes me feel really old. There's been no shortage of comic book movies in that time, it is true, but it's still interesting to reconsider Batman now and think about the genre without all the weight of universe building and all the connected franchises and all the important pieces that you may or may not know. Uh, So with this in mind, I wanted to talk today. Uh, David, maybe you can have some thoughts on this subject to kick us off, but what does the Batman say about the state of superhero movies right now? Like, what what are we supposed to read from the success of this film? I do think it's interesting, as you say, that it's... It's not like we've been in a Batman-free zone since the Christopher Nolan saga came to a close 10 years ago. There's been Ben Affleck Batman kicking around in that whole universe. The Batfleck. Yeah, Batfleck himself. There, you know, there was a Lego Batman who popped up, right? You know, we've had plenty of Batman conversations, but there is the feeling here of like, wouldn't it be nice to not have to worry about you know what aquaman is doing right now at the same time you know like it would not have to think about you know an entire universe of crossovers and cosmic chaos and you know like portals opening in the sky or you know the 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 issue with the cinematic universe approach to comic book storytelling is that the stakes always have to be like galactically high by the end of the movie because you know, it's hard to top yourself when you're the 24th entry in a series, right? You know, like you always just have to be going up and up and up. And and here we are with a movie that's, you know, it's got a little bit of... The stakes are only municipally high. Exactly. <laughs> like, you know, the, the, I feel like they do try at the end to make things a little broader and more epic. But even that feels a little forced. This is mostly about a guy plotting around, looking at clues, right? Detective Pokemon, yeah. but Batman. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah, he's a little detective Pokemon. Detective Pikachu. Aww. Pikachu. Right, right. <laughs> Wait, um, there is that. He even has pointy ears like Pikachu. <laughs> he does. What were you going to say, Spencer? As someone who's been paying attention to Batman and DC, like, this really isn't connected to anything before. And this is not supposed to be a world in which um, Ben Affleck's Batman existed. And also, what was the deal with Ben Affleck's Batman? I never, like, <laughs> saw any of it. <laughs> other than the I can try and give a, a potted history. Yes, you know, obviously, what happened really was you got the Nolan movies in the late 2000s, you know, doing really well. But they're sort of happening in parallel with Marvel beginning its whole Iron Man-led Avengers universe, right? And so by the time Nolan is wrapping up, Marvel is top of the heap with this connected universe thing. And the studio, you know, Warner Brothers, who runs all the DC comics, they're like, oh my god, we have to like get on this trend now. So their efforts, which were led by the director Zack Snyder, you know, they we kind of meet Batman late, like... He gets brought, you know, they did a Superman movie first, and then they did Batman versus Superman. And when we're meeting Ben Affleck Batman, like, this is like a 20 years into his run Batman. Like, he's mm. a hardened, almost over it uh, Gotham guy. He's a little tired. I mean, look, I enjoy Ben Affleck, but especially these days, the man gives you tired. The man yeah. is like, I just, yeah, just I, want to go I just put my jewel out of frame. <laughs> it's sort of his, you know his on-screen affect as Batman. And so that movie did well enough that, yes, the original plan was for this film, the Batman, to be directed by Ben Affleck and starring him. And I think from what I've heard about it, from what Matt Reeves has said, the script was sort of kind of James Bondy. It was sort of like mm. Batman traveling the world or something. And like, I don't, you mm. know, like it was sort of a very sort of high tech. That, that, that was sort of Affleck's Batman was very heavy on gadgets and stuff like that. And when Affleck decided he was too busy to make the movie, but he was still going to be in it, I think Reeves was offered the film and he was like, no, thank you, but I would do a Batman movie that was just free of any larger encumbrance, like that was just a Batman movie, just just about Batman. We don't need to meet Superman or anybody else and we don't need to worry about fitting it into a very complicated schedule and the studio was like yeah you know maybe that's the idea maybe we strip that all away to me it's like liberating because as much as i enjoy the mcu like it's exhausting sometimes when you see you want to see a movie but you haven't seen all of like the last marvel series and you're like i mean i miss these pieces of you know who pops up in this cameo and who does what and you feel like you just need to have absolutely everything seen to comprehend it so this at least is like much lighter work for the viewer but it's also setting up like an, another multiverse right? or well, like, another, like that's the worst part of the movie is the last like five minutes of like guess what is, there's gonna be many sequels to this <laughs> that's the pitfall of course right you could yeah. never you could never plausibly truly say like this is gonna be the only one right it's yeah. the, these things are designed to be followed up on like they always have been even the joker movie which ends about as definitively as one of these things could they're talking about making another one of those. You know, you make a billion dollars, like, it doesn't, Money you know, every, yeah, you got to do it. I want to talk about Robert Pattinson. Spencer, what did you make of his performance of his? I'm asking you because you're the you're the emo kid in residence. Like, what did hey, you make no. of his? Wow. You know, it is a good chance to talk about, like, the differences in wayfish white men who listen to rock and roll because you know i appreciate that he was the, the, like nirvana is his band so it's not like quite like an emo kid 
But, you know, going a little bit deeper back to some truly traumatic times of the early 90s, that's what it felt like it was. Whereas, like, Suicide Squad is very emo. It's, like, very, like, Panic at the Disco aesthetic. So Right, very uh, topic. Yeah, right. so I, so this movie is is a little bit more in what I would say is, is my lane as someone who, which is from, he was from the 90s. Um, but I, I thought Robert completely worked and you love him in this uh you just want to cuddle his you know skeletal frame and tell him <laughs> it's going to be okay and <laughs> you know and you can tell that when bruce wayne steps out of the house for like a rare funeral uh that he has to attend probably the city's paparazzi is obsessed with him because he is like just very like charismatic and striking and sad seeming and you're just like what's the deal with that guy robert is one ingredient in this movie that is like made up of just like strong ingredients that somehow make three hours go by very quickly and absorbingly. He did a great job. This movie's like really gnarly, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's it's grungy for sure. No, I, it was interesting. You mentioned Bruce Wayne and the paparazzi. I, there was a sort of Kennedy subtext to the Wayne family that mm-hmm. I hadn't really picked up on any previous outings. Like when you looked at Thomas Wayne and old footage, he kind of looked like Bobby Kennedy and all the stories about Martha and her unhappy childhood and the two kind of mm-hmm. the Arkham dynasty. Yeah, 100%. The sort of Rosemary Kennedy thing, right? Yeah, I found that really fascinating. But yes, it was gnarly as hell. I mean, I I enjoyed this movie, for sure, I, I don't think I would quite agree with you that it flew by. Um, for me, certainly. <laughs> yeah, okay, I, I, maybe a, <laughs> a little bit there. It's a long yeah. film. Yeah. It's quite yeah. long. It was, but it, it's very, sort of pretty well done. Technically, everything is doing what it should do. And yet, I left it, and then an hour later, I couldn't sort of think about a single thing that was sticking in my head. Mm. I do agree with you about that. But yeah, when you talked about the gnarly aspect, like, it reminded me of Seven and I know, mm-hmm. David, you said it reminded you of Zodiac 2, another David Fincher But no, I think seven, seven is a huge point of comparison in terms of that is also a serial killer movie where the serial killer is always one step ahead of the detective. Yeah. You know what I mean? He is basically leading the detective on a path, not being chased, if that makes sense. So. It makes Batman seem so weak almost that he's sort of mm-hmm. <laughs> not able to keep up intellectually. Though he can solve any riddle in like, in, in five really seconds. Why is he so good at riddles? not that hard. I mean, didn't you guys get the riddles? <laughs> I would need a minute. I would I, be like, I would um, need a wait, let me say it out loud again. Wait, let me see. Oh, like, uh, you know, I, I would not be able to do I it. I take a couple seconds. hours to finish my wordle. So yeah, I would need some time. I was sitting there like, justice, guys, it's justice. <laughs> anyway, uh, David, what did you think about Robert Pattinson as the Batman? You know, I'm a major fan of Pat's, uh, Pat's Bats. Well, he's very um, handsome. I think he's very handsome. I think I've had the same journey with him as a star that a lot of people have, where I actually think his performance in the first Twilight is incredible and worth revisiting in terms of like, Hmm. he seems baffled by the material and is basically like, this is, this is like a freak, right? And it's like a Nicolas Cage level committed bananas performance. The only problem is that in the, it, in the subsequent Twilight movies, he's clearly quite bored <laughs> and sort of has a lot less to do because a lot of those those movies sort of background him after a while and he's just kind of standing there being like... Eh. Um, and so people sort of, you know, gave up on him as being a, a you know truly promising actor, right? He's sort of confined to that series for a while and then he's had this very interesting phase in the last few years where he's been taking all these interesting parts and working with all these very committed, to, you know... Uh, artistically sort of whole direct, you know, uh, the Safties and Robert Eggers, you know, the, the good time lighthouse. Uh, and then 
when he popped up in Tenet a couple years ago, the Nolan movie, it was this reminder of like, oh, right, this guy's like super charming and charismatic and handsome, right? Like, oh, this put this guy in some clothes and give him a <laughs> shave and suddenly like I want him to take me to dinner. Like I, I sort of <laughs> forgot about this. And so when he was cast in this, I was like, oh, well, he's okay, sure. He's got like a bit of an edge and he's a little emo, whatever you want to call it, a little grungy, but he'll be a good Bruce Wayne. And then, of course, this movie barely cares about him as Bruce Wayne. He's mostly mm-hmm. the Batman. But I said this in my review. Playing Batman, it's all about lips and chin, right? Because that's all you've got to work with. You've got a big mask on your face. You've got black eyeliner on, right? <laughs> and he's really good at the at the scowling and the grimacing and the pouting. Like, he's very locked in, in my, in my opinion, to me, he wasn't very expressive, and that was the kind of the oh, point of I don't know. this take I on Batman. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I did too, but like, but right, but like the whole thing is like, oh, I've conquered fear, and it seemed like he was making a very deliberate choice, like not to give the sort of like hammy George Clooney frown or whatever. But I agree that like when you do get that little like kind of like quiver of anything from him, it's quite powerful. I mean, if I can do a very brief Batman rant, just, Please. just no. try and keep this short. No, no. that's Where not what else the podcast would you do for. it, but here and now. If you're talking about the various people who've played this role, like the pathology of them is really different. Like, so Michael Keaton's take was kind of like, this is a fairly bored rich guy who just cannot wait for the bat signal to go up in the sky because then he's like, all right, great. Like, you know, there's that <laughs> uh-huh. thing in Batman Returns where he's just sitting there in his chair. You know, and you're like, what is this guy doing? He's sitting in the dark doing nothing. And then the signal lights up and he's like, okay, good. And then, you know, the Bale take was more, Christian Bale was more like, you know, the light and dark thing where it's like when he's Bruce Wayne, he's giving this sort of performance in and of itself as this kind of like, you know, playboy fool. And when he's Batman, he's also giving this increasingly bananas performance is like the scariest <laughs> monster you've ever met. He's like, uh, yeah. you know, and so like, this is a guy who doesn't actually totally even know if he is a person anymore. Like he's always acting. Um, Pattinson's take seems to be like, this guy is sublimating himself into this role, this work, right? Like, as you know, he's a fairly young Batman. He's still kind of figuring it out. So he's good at glowering and, like you say, Spencer, kind of locking it all down. But it doesn't seem, again, like he doesn't really feel like he's figured out what he wants out of all of this, right? Mm-hmm, at the start mm-hmm, of the movie. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he, he again, he's good at it. He's good at being Batman and h- hitting criminals. But I feel like he's still in search of the sort of larger mission. I found his Batman very entertaining. I found his Bruce Wayne slightly more perplexing. I mean, there, I, mm. there was mm. one scene, I think, where Alfred says, I've got you some berries, sir. And he, like, very <laughs> mournfully <laughs> chews on a blueberry and I laughed out loud in the cinema, which made me not very popular. <laughs> it was just unintentionally hysterical. And there were a couple of moments because the tone of the movie is so humorless yeah. where yeah. things mm-hmm. were funny and you were like, is this intentionally, like, levity or am I, am I just laughing because everything is so dour? I think mostly the latter... The only person in this movie who gets to have any fun really is Colin Farrell, who is like, hell yeah, trying. I don't believe it's Colin Farrell. The most fun. 
I do not believe it's Colin Farrell in that. No, I don't believe it's Colin Farrell and I don't believe it's Paul Dano. I think they got two like jobbing actors to just wear the makeup and then they franchise like the movie stars. No, no. I mean, like the thing with Colin Farrell in this, I'm sure we'll talk about it more, but like, right. When you first see the look where he's buried under all that makeup, I was like, yeah, why even cast an actor that's well known? Mm -hmm. Because like you can, but then you see the performance and he's just clearly like, oh, great. I can give a, 5,000% 5,000% performance in this because like I'm so constrained that it will come off over the top even if I'm like way over the top. It's a beautiful corrective to what Jared Leto did in House of Gucci. If Colin Farrell's like 5,000% over the top like uh, Jared Leto put on a fat suit similarly and uh, was like a million percent over the top and right. you can see there's their choices do matter when you're underneath all that makeup because like here, I, yeah, you love the penguin. He's just kind of funny. He's, he's fun. He's, he's like, get the What's get the, the matter, darling? Me. Like, leave me it's alone. That. <laughs> That's yeah, what I yeah, found. Yeah. Like, he felt like an ad for Goodfellas pizza. Like, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about Detective Batman. I did not know until we were prepping for this that DC stands for mm-hmm. Detective Comics. Sure does. Um, what did you both think of the sort of orientation of Batman as like someone, a sleuth, a noirish, you know, private eye on the case in this very dark, very bad city? It didn't, I, I guess I'm not that familiar with Batman's detective origins. He's the world's greatest detective, Spencer. Okay, you can give <laughs> a spiel. But, but it, as someone who only knows Batman from, you know, glancingly in popular culture over the years, it sort of was random when... You know, and, and, the, and the movie acknowledges this, that like with the other cops on the crime scene being like, why is this guy here? <laughs> like, like, why? Like, this <laughs> is not his specialty. <laughs> it's not his deal. And, you know, what part of what is very effective about the movie is that it's a highly competent detective movie is like one third of what it's doing. And everything about that it just kind of works. And it works in a way that's very, you know, familiar from these other movies that we've mentioned, like Seven and Zodiac. And then I imagine even further back in film noir history, like it's really like it's playing with those beats very competently. I don't quite get like why that's Batman's skill set here. And and it, and it doesn't ever go out of his way to explain that. Like, for example, the riddles thing, like, like, why is he so good at riddles? But you, I mean, I just let that go. But, it, but I guess I do hard. need to hear this, your spiel about why he is a good detective, because it's not, it's not in the canon that dummies like me have absorbed over the years yeah i guess it's never been too crucial to his cinematic canon it's it's certainly part of all of them he's got his bat cave he's got his sort of computers it's both the noir thing right like the especially when the the character was at his original height in the 40s the era of the dark noir and if superman is the big flying hero who fights people in the daytime batman is this sort of creepy crawly guy who's lurking around at night and obviously he debuted in a in a series called detective comics and so you know he's fighting criminals rather than like super villains like is right you know what i mean like batman eventually gets super villains in his rogue but like originally he was really a guy who was fighting like mobsters and stuff like that was sort of his conception like dick tracy yeah sure right or the shadow you know those sort of pulpy villain uh, heroes of the 30s and stuff on that note, like, is the disgusting, crime-ridden, drug-addled city of 80s and 70s cinema, like, like, is that back? Or mm. is it just like... Did it ever go these... away? Well, I felt like it sort of did. I don't know. I, at least I grew up being very frightened of the city because of movies like the 90s Batman. You know, now it's... 
I don't know. What, what portrayals of cities have we had recently that are full of sweet greens and uh, <laughs> uh, condos? <laughs> you know, because that's the <laughs> that's sort of the reality it's moved I towards. I mean, that's, I guess that is the vibe of the Marvel movies. Those are set in the real yes, world. Those yes. are set in recognizable. And they, you know, Marvel has this kind of very monochromatic gray slate kind of, you know, a lot of, a lot of those fights just take place in parking lots and stuff. Just because, again, that's kind of an easy place to dump everyone and do your special effects around them right you know like the, the less elements around them the better this is a little more reminiscent of a grimy 70s movie sure uh which is which is a fun throwback i guess i i like this movie but i feel like i am also just like here to defend it and like it's a little pummeling and i don't mind that. Uh-huh. i don't mind mm-hmm. picking a bit right and he's picked his bit like this is going to be serious this is going to be mystery focused my Gotham is going to be dark and moody. And that's great. And I like Matt Reeves. He made the Planet of the Apes sequels, uh, Dawn and War. And those were similarly movies where I'm like, you've picked your bit. This has a lot of storytelling integrity, but it's it's a little one note. Like, Whoa. I'm walking out being like, grim. I get it. Like, that, that, one, that one was grim. And there are all these characters who you know, get maybe like two minutes total of, of screen time. And then there are all these kind of interesting illusions, like, you know, what is better for Bruce Wayne to do? You know, should he prowl the city at night as in a costume or should he just donate money to help, you right. know, clean take, up the take city control and of his dad's fund the orphanage fund. and get the drop heads out? And, you know, right. yeah, like there's, a, and then at the end, I actually did find very fascinating and very bleak, the sort of Riddler's ultimate evil plot, which was to get his group of similarly, disenfranchised and violent young men to stand at the top of the Madison Square Garden or Gotham Square Garden or whatever it was and, and um, rain down violence from above it. You it like felt that? I can't say I liked it, but it felt sort of topical in a, in a sort of really uncomfortable way as we, you know, think about current news um, and, you know, epidemics of mass shootings in America and things like that. It just felt overwhelming, I think. So nothing really was allowed to settle or get under my skin. It just all was kind of barraging and then it was over it, it almost this movie is three hours long it has two action sequences total basically it has a car chase in the middle and it has the ending sequence that you're talking about i have this feeling that i have no idea if this is true but like that warner brothers was like matt we're giving you ample budget and artistic you know you can do mm. what you want but, but come on <laughs> like you gotta <laughs> give us a climax <laughs> he's gotta come on he's gotta be batman he's gotta save some people or something like it can't just be him grumbling at jeffrey wright all the time <laughs> while they look at facts you know readouts or whatever so i i understand the concept that batman needs to maybe realize like i'm here for a city and i'm here to you know for a community more than Mm -hmm. i'm just here to like punch criminals in the face and feel better about myself it's kind of like like i think this movie is very very good at what it does but it sort of feels like sad that this energy has all been expended on you know a batman movie like 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 matt reeves is obviously an incredible director i think um Mm. and this is probably not what he dreamt of doing with his talents Eh, but he the, might have. but also, know. this is the curse of the franchise, right? Like, you make a temple Batman movie, you know that people are going to go see it, which is not a guarantee for you know an, an original character. I wanted to ask you guys: Is there any way, like we've seen sort of various iterations of of Batman, um, starting with Adam West's extremely 
hokey. That's talk about bright Batman. That is a very bright series. And then you know the Keatons, and then the Clooney era, the Val Kilmers, and Christian Bale, which seemed to get a lot more serious and sort of was a lot more interesting for it. Is there a new way to do Batman that doesn't rely so heavily on I don't know source style torture masks and nirvana and like mm, is there yeah. an intellectual batman is there any is like a like a way to shake this franchise yeah, more up fun not even uh, more fun maybe. but like how how if you were pitching a batman franchise like how would you make it distinct i think because everything to me just feels like dark batman feels so overplayed at this point yeah. but i also don't know what else right. you do with a, a man in a cod piece I, that is the other thing i would say about this movie is like it is a good version of this but it I don't feel like it really pushed this character anywhere all that new for me. Yeah. I guess if I was to pitch a new one, I would say, what if it was like a like a Lego Batman? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, Lego Batman, which is I a great LEGO film, Batman. if you guys have not seen is it. Is it? Okay. Series. Oh, I have. Um, I'm sure Sophie has, because I know your daughter loves Batman. Um, she does. It is, there, it is one of the finest, uh, I would say, takes on Batman's personality as like a kind of lonely weirdo without being someone who just like puts black eye makeup on and listens to something in the way. Like there's that early sequence in Lego Batman where he like gets home to his mansion after doing heroism and he gets a little Lego <laughs> lobster and he puts it on a Lego plate and he puts it into his Lego microwave and then he just, <laughs> he just watch it revolve. And then he eats his Lego lobster and watches Jerry Maguire in his Lego cinema. <laughs> and you're just like, yeah, I guess this, this is this guy's life. He doesn't have anything else going on. And it's, it's both like sweet and sad. And like, it's, it's, it's why that movie is so, but obviously that movie gets to have fun because it's Lego. And what you're talking about, Sophie is like, it's very difficult to chart some new path with a character who dresses up as a bat. Like you can go full goofy like they did back in the day. Or you can do this where you're like, let's try and strip it down and make it as sort of plausible as possible. But yeah, uh, you know, at the end of the day, he's dressed like a bat. It's weird. Like, why are you dressed like a bat? Why is everyone not just like, you're like a bat? Why do you look like that? What's going on with you? Well, like, you know. But this somehow isn't a problem that the Marvel franchise has. Like, they managed to be pretty funny and zany. Absolutely. That is a code they crack. That, and that's what pisses people off about those movies. And I get it, like, that those movies have to have that slightly winky tone to, to yeah. sell it. And they have that kind of jokey dialogue that's become, you know, corny and overused. But that's how you pull that off, right? You, ha you have to have that smooth tone throughout. Mm -hmm. I think that the movie's, like, sort of, like, has to pull its punch. Like, it, it's not fully Saw. It's not fully Seven where I like, yeah. can't go to this full gore place because it is, you know, a, a comic book movie. Um, but Paul Dano seems like he is on the verge of showing you something absolutely disgusting. I and mean, it shows you some very disturbing things, but like, he is actually like, truly frightening, I thought. Yeah, well, that's what's interesting about the power of the mask that they allude to in the, in the movie a few times. Like once he's unmasked, he's just not as terrifying. And you do feel that, like Batman, there is, I mean, I think he even says this, that there's something about being hidden that makes him more fully able to be himself. Well, but this is the thing with the Dan O'Riddler performance, which I have no beef with. I think he's doing exactly what the movie wants. And like you say, Spencer, you know, he's got moments where you're like, oh, this is genuinely unsettling. But it mm -hmm. is like, what you see is what you get, right? Like in the first scene where he's yeah. revealed, 
I'm like, okay, I get it. And then the movie's like, that's it. You know, that's, that's his. Right. And I'm like, Great. There's no build up from there. Same with the penguin where it's like, what's this guy's deal? It's like, yeah, he's like, right. He's off a pizza box. He's a, he's a big loud mobster. And I'm like, great. Anything else? No. Okay, cool. <laughs> and then, same with Catwoman. What's her deal? She's like a cat burglar lady. She drinks milk. Like apart from that, she's just a cat burglar lady. I'm like, great. John Turturro though. You nailed it. Obviously a bad man from the beginning though. Like there's no there's no twists with any of these characters. There's nothing that surprises you. Everyone is understands the assignment to use internet parlance of, of today and and I don't think anyone gives a bad performance. I think Andy Circus was fine, but I, I kind of felt bad for him in that I was like, Wow, there's no space for a new Alfred, is there? Like there's classic reedy English butler Alfred, and then there's mm-hmm. what Michael Caine did, where he gruffs him up a little bit and has the Cockney accent and hits hints at the military background. And mm-hmm. Circus is clearly like, yeah, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. <laughs> I guess I'll kind of be Cockney too. I'll be kind of like, all right, mate, you know, like, but it's sort of like, all right, Alfred, get out of here. We get your deal, you know. Uh, but like everyone else, I think, gives a, an excellent performance and is styled well and is compelling when they're on screen. Uh, but there's, it's kind of like what you guys said was like, there's nothing I was walking out of that movie being like, I can't stop thinking about X as the, you know, Paul Dano. I can't stop thinking about what's, 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 what was going on in that movie. I more was just sort of like, that was an eight out of 10 experience. I was like a great pizza pie. I ate it. I, I had a good time. Is there anything that the upcoming HBO penguin series god which just makes me tired thinking about it um just that much like Ayo, Ayo. i mean my guess i i'm i'm intrigued by that in terms of like if you're gonna do a batman sequel right mm-hmm. the problem with batman movies and matt reeves has talked about this is that you always have your first batman movie that is about a billionaire whose parents were killed and he becomes the batman right like you which i did batman appreciate story, them leaving out this mercifully time. they leave respect out, for uh, the audience by and large. they know that we know uh and then by the second movie batman's whole deal has been completely settled he is batman and so the sequels are always just uh villain showcases right like mm-hmm. they're just like who we got now and then they take over the movie and reeves was like i wanted to do a movie about you know, Batman is still figuring things out, but we don't have to watch pearls fall on the floor for the time, <laughs> right? Like we don't need to deal with all that over and over again. And you know, uh, the emotional through line of this movie is Batman. So if you're going to do a TV series, that's great because now there's some space for villains to pop up and you can explore some more Gotham marginalia and you can give me a little sense of the city of crime. And then once we go back to the Batman two. We can have a, a rich world for him to be playing around in that we've gotten some contact. I don't I don't mind it. I'm not like pumping my fists for a <laughs> penguin show, but I could imagine how it would be interesting. Did you and you watch the that Gotham show that, that ran for a few years? I watched it for a bit. Uh, I forgot. I forgot about that one. Yeah, right. Right. Like they've done, they've done a penguin show. Yeah, that was like right. That was uh, Gotham pre Batman. Like Bat- Batman is a kid in that movie in that show. So it was. It's about young Commissioner Gordon and yeah, the penguins in that. The Riddler's in that as well. Catwoman's in that. They're all in it. Look, it's Batman. What can I tell you? Right. <laughs> I mean, it's the end of the day. <laughs> He's a man. That's the podcast. And a bat. Well, like, this is the whole thing with Batman. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to see the fourth take on the Riddler. You know, like, at a certain point, what are we doing? (laughs) 
but there's I mean, as there much is, as I enjoyed this film, there is potential I mean, though. Like yeah. I think we've seen one thing that we've really seen is like three incredibly different, each equally effective. Well, I'm going to leave out Jared Leto, so I'll say three, not four, interpretations of the Joker. Like I think Jack Nicholson's haunts me to this day. Heath Ledger's obviously was just changed. Oh understanding of yeah. what comic book villainy could be right. that's a that's a true that's a really really incredible thing to this day to watch him and then yep. you know joaquin phoenix and his sort of weird king of comedy joker or origin story so like i'm not i'm not i'm not tired by the idea of more villains i just i find penguin the least interesting of all of them and i, well, I not cannot super- Imagine what you're going to do in a 10-hour series about about a man whose defining characteristic seems to be accent. Well, what what is Penguin's power? Isn't it doesn't have something to do with an umbrella? No. And then he also like has children in the wells in the no, Tim that, Burton movie or something. That, that's all <laughs> Tim Burton's take, right? Okay. In, in the comics, he's more just a he's just a gangster uh, who maybe has some fun umbrellas. You know, like that's you know he does like to have a good bulletproof umbrella or whatever, but. Uh, Tim Burton was the one who was like, "This guy should be half a penguin." Which I think was like, "How He was raised by penguins at the Gotham Zoo. He was an orphan. Yeah, he, he, yeah. It, it's the, the classic Batman thing. You know, she fell into a bunch of cats. He fell into a bunch of penguins. That's why he's a penguin. <laughs> um, which, again, no beef. And like, uh, I think Matt Reeves has talked about wanting to bring back Mister Freeze. Another. Mm. Batman character who obviously usually trends more cartoony. I, I, I can't wait to see, you know, what sort of bespoke, <laughs> gritty Mister Freeze he's going to cook up. <laughs> I mean, look, obviously the, the the heyday of the Joel Schumacher silly Batman is well behind us, and no one's ever going to quite dare get that campy again. But Arnold Schwarzenegger just just popping up and saying the Iceman cometh as he like sends. <laughs> ice skating gangsters at batman like is it is like it's the apex of something right like that we 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 do have to preserve it for future generations it's making me nostalgic now because i really did enjoy those movies as a kid one of my favorite scenes is when peter skarsgård is talking to zoe kravitz and you see it through her lens and he is obviously like high on these drops and it's just this kind of like trippy hallucinogenic kind of like nice he like seems like he's having a good time um and it's another vision like moment where i'm like this is a cool aesthetic thing that matt reeves has come up with here that i wish was getting used for like an original techno thriller rather than thrown into this like gigantic batman gumbo Mm, that's a great way of describing the movie gigantic batman gumbo and it, it, it's it's appropriately seedy. It's it's a good good kind of seedy. Not, not that, especially was, that. That feels realistically seedy. It was nice to see Peter Sarsgaard after, um, obviously, Maggie was in a Batman movie, so he probably wanted one of his own. Spoiler alert for The Dark Knight and this movie, but it is funny that both Peter Sarsgaard and Maggie Gyllenhaal have been blown up yeah. <laughs> during, <laughs> during Batman uh, entries. It's true. Like, I wonder if Peter Sarsgaard, like, you know, just at the kitchen table with Maggie being like, yeah, I blow up on page 45. What do you think? You made it to like page 80. But uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> David, I have Aww. a question for you about Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy, which mm. is like in Batman Begins, Gotham is obviously Chicago. And then sure. suddenly in The Dark Knight, it's New York. And then in yes, The Dark Knight actually- Rises, it's extremely New York. So how, like, how it- does that happen? 
it's it, I actually really like that about the Nolan movies, right? The first movie is very Chicago-y and has um, a sort of a neighborhood called the Narrows that is very comic booky. That is like yeah. dank and uh, sort of di- exactly like you know like very evocative of the comic books. And it's supposed to reflect Gotham as a pit of crime that needs to be either, you know, purged or healed or whatever, right? And then by Dark Knight, with Batman on the scene and things changing, it's become this more Michael Mann, like this kind of burnished, like a lot of skyscrapers. Like, I like how he evolves Gotham every time to reflect how Batman is gentrifying things and changing things and like that doesn't mean the criminality goes away, but it's different. Like in the dark Knight, the criminals, the mobsters all have a bank and like they have meetings in their suits <laughs> and all that. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're a little more corporatized. And then by dark Knight rises, it's become this kind of occupy wall street thing. Right. And so he's like, yeah, we'll just set it downtown in Manhattan, essentially. It's a Staten Island and, right. It is implausible, but that's what I like about Nolan is he's just like, I'm sure if he said shared universe to that guy, he would have been like, what are you fucking yeah. talking about? Like, I don't <laughs> care about that. So he's just like, I'm just going to do what I want. Like, and the, the constants will be the constants and the others. Won't, you know, I don't, I don't need to worry about continuity. And now all of that is verboten. Now, of course, these things have to exist to tease audiences about future entries, yeah. you know, and, and they have to have internal consistency because, you know, what if blah, you know, what if Wonder Woman You need to, to sell the map on the, the back of the Happy Meal. With the Flash, right, you know, so, uh, you know, and like that's Spencer, I'm glad you mentioned Happy Meals. The funniest <laughs> thing about this movie is it is so damn realistic. They're trying to make toys out of like the Colin Farrell penguin and it's like, here's middle-aged guy in suspenders, like Happy Christmas. Like what What kid is going to enjoy any of this? Do they have the gold here's tooth? Here's Gimp Suit Riddler. I hope you like it. God, yeah. It's nightmare. Oh God! You know uh, when the Jim children Carrey, are not going to be okay. <laughs> when Jim Carrey took that role in '95 or whatever, Batman Forever came out. Like he was like green spandex, question marks all over it. I want a bowler hat. I want a gold staff. Like I am, <laughs> I am the Riddler. I am not. I am not just some guy. Uh, anyway, it's just, just, just. It's just funny to think about how the '90s Batman movies were so driven by. Uh, toy sales like right like that was such a crucial economic element for these things and now it's like not only do we not care about that we kind of actively want to avoid it we we don't we don't want to seem like we're trying to make action figures over here what can we do with this movie to extrapolate what superhero movies are what they might be in the future like because this to me just seemed like a very well done very pretty generic predictable iteration of a big superhero Batman movie. Like, as, as we've said, there weren't too many surprises. There was nothing really below the belt or out of the ordinary. Like, is, is this sort of where we're going with this field now? I, as someone who doesn't, like, I'm not like the superhero movie guy, but have dropped into a few of them over the past few years. And I will say this movie and the last Spider-Man movie, um, which we talked about on the cast, uh, were amazing times in the theater for me. Like I really enjoyed both of them. Um, And it felt like filmmakers really playing in a very um, well-defined sandbox, but doing really creative and high quality stuff within them. 
And again, it just like brings me like, that's cool, but it also brings me to this sort of like sad feeling like this is the only opportunity that filmmakers have to, you know, use the budget and the resources and the attention to do something ambitious. Um, and Matt Reeves has talked about this, that like he, he asked uh, in some interview, like if, if in another era, what could I gotten all these actors to be drawn in this movie? Maybe not, but it's the only game in town. He's talking about superhero movies and talking about how, you know, he wants to do ambitious kind of auteur work and this is the way that he can do it. So I guess like, that's cool that we got uh, this good of a Batman movie, but maybe someday we can have just the good Matt Reeves blockbuster of his dreams. Um, right. I, so your, yeah. your answer is less superhero movies, which I agree with. Yes. Yeah. Less superhero movies, but like also like, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's do this without the Batman and like uh, not force him to like have the, this, the third act uh, apocalypse. What's David Fincher doing these days, David? Well, David Fincher is a perfect example of what we are talking about in that he is a very successful filmmaker who's been nominated for Oscars and has made many hits. And after Gone Girl, another hit, right, that like did really well and had movie stars in it and so on, Hollywood was basically like, your movies are too expensive and I do not seem to be about superheroes at all. Like, I, I'm not <laughs> noticing any, any superheroes. And he kept getting attached to projects. Gone Girl, and that's like a superhero name, though. The Gone Girl. Um, and Sorry. so, him, no, no, you're absolutely right. Of course. No, he became this perfect example of like the celebrated auteur who absolutely needs like a lot of money and time to play around with, right? Like David Frencher is probably not going to go off and make a movie for $15 million. Like he, he needs a big expansive budget because he's meticulous and he's perfectionist or what, you know, like all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so studios just sort of t- stop bothering with him. The same thing happened to Martin Scorsese, where obviously anyone wants to be in the Martin Scorsese business, but Paramount, his classic studio, just like, we're like, well, we can't give you $200 million to make uh, The Irishman, like, even though you have like De Niro, Pacino, like, even though it's this glorious yeah. thing, because it's a lot of money for a movie that's not going to play overseas and that isn't going to have a sequel or anything like that. And so where are they all now? They're at the streamers, like the streamers who want mm. the prestige, who will pony up the money. So David Fincher made Mank for Netflix, and now he's making a movie called The Killer for Netflix. Martin Scorsese made The Irishman at Netflix. He's making a movie for Apple right now. You know, like that's that is unfortunately or fortunately or whatever we want to say. Like that is those are the companies right now that are willing to take financial risks on movies that are not necessarily going to be tentpole. Right? That doesn't. F- feel fully economically sustainable to me like i can i know that no, i see the streamers not. paying this amount of money right now but but you i mean you saw netflix have a sort of share tumble crisis a, a few months ago like it doesn't seem like they will be happy to do this forever which does make you wonder what happens to this kind of movie well honestly i think netflix etc will always be happy to pony up money for a couple projects that yeah. are that size from very major filmmakers like fincher or whoever it's more the even the Matt Reeves types who are obviously uh, good at their jobs and are quite celebrated, but maybe aren't the kind of like, you know, juggernaut names that yeah, it's like you get you get you're just sort of like, yeah, what what do you want to do? Name your price. Right. You know, that's who I would more worry about in the in the grand sort of 
financial scheme of things. And yeah, I mean, I don't know if Matt Reeves has spent day and night dreaming about making a Batman movie. He probably likes Batman. He probably wanted to make a Batman movie. But yeah, he might have other projects that he'd love to do. And he's either going to, you know, maybe he can use this Batman clout to get it done. Or maybe Mm -hmm. he's going to have to make it for like a lot less money, you know, right for for a smaller, like, you know, like that. maybe that's the way he sneaks it through. I don't know. Only sort of Christopher Nolan, Quentin Tarantino, the absolute big boys are the types who could just sort of go to a studio and be like, I'm in charge. You're putting this movie in theaters. You're giving me as much money as I want. And it's going to be about whatever I want. You know, like there's just not a lot of filmmakers left like that. You know, and maybe the death of massive, big swinging dick, ego boy filmmakers. Like, you know, maybe we can handle that and maybe it's fine that Hollywood is evolving. Like, I'm not saying like, woe is David Fincher. He's doing fine. But what is, how many Batman movies have there been? And I like Batman. Everyone does. I like it. I think he's, he's, he's very compelling. Well, this is the conundrum, right? Because it's kind of depressing that these, Batman, Superman, Spider-Man movies are the only ones that truly rake in the cash. But at the same time, you know, I want to see them and we talk about them and they're fun. So there is, I mean, we've talked about this before in the pod, like there is something about the reliability of the familiar storytelling structure, the familiar hero, the familiar, like it, it feels safe in a way sometimes when you're exhausted and tired and stressed about the world. It feels safe in a way that a fully novel story maybe feels like too much work <laughs> maybe that's just me being exhausted but it, it's it's a little sad but that's also the paradox i think uh i don't want to end this on this bummer note because god knows the batman is bummer enough so i would love to end this with a game who of all the iterations of batman who is your favorite and why and we can't all pick um Christian Bale. We can't all pick Christian Bale. And and I, I love Christian Bale, as you mentioned, David, just because of his, where is he? <laughs> where is he? <laughs> oh, like Tell me where you're hiding that thing. I do this with my with my child now. She, is, uh, she loves Batman. She's never seen a Batman movie. Obviously, we tried to make her watch Lego Batman, and she didn't care. Um, but she has a Batman figurine. <laughs> she loves him. There was a kid dressed as Batman in the park the other day, and she lost her mother-loving <laughs> mind and was like, Baba! Baba! And she stalked this poor kid all around the playground. She followed him on the merry-go-round and she just kept grabbing me and saying, bah, bah, bah. And, and, and that was exciting. But we also, we, we ask her like, you know, what do lions say? Rah! What did monkeys say? Woo-hoo-hoo. What does Batman say? Where is he? <laughs> do I look like a cop? That's my favorite Batman. Who Bale sent Batman. you? <laughs> I mean, Bale is so good when he is yelling it's just hilarious when he then has to have a regular conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Spencer, who's the, who's the best Batman? I would say that the one that meant the most to me was the 90s animated Batman. In 90s animation, uh, there were so many kind of like interchangeable feeling shows about superheroes and also the duck versions of them. But they were all good. And uh, I, I definitely preferred that Batman to the um, Tim Burton and Schumacher movies, which I found disgusting and horrible as a kid. And I, I don't <laughs> like to revisit them. Like they're, they're revolting works that just feel completely like everything that cinema has reacted against for the better. Um, so I'm going to leave this podcast by nuking those beloved films. Wow. All Wait, of tell them. me more. Everything that's, how has cinema reacted against the, I mean, 
I understand the Schumacher, yes, but how, what about the Burtons repels that you? That they're so covered in gunk and everyone is quivering and nothing is realistic at all. And uh, there, everyone is quivering? There's no, everyone's like, sort of like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I get that. <laughs> you right. know, like, it's truly <laughs> sicko stuff. And it's amazing that he got to make those movies and inflict them upon a generation and give us all our traumas. But yeah, I mean, I, I have not enjoyed rewatching them over the years. I'm just like, this is so gross to me. But that's just, you know, my own thing I need to probably see a therapist about. <laughs> so, Spencer, you're picking Kevin Conroy's animated Batman, which is a, is a sure. fine choice yes. from like Mask yeah. of the Phantasm and the TV show and all that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm very fond of the Bale performance. I think it's good. I, I recently found some like DVD extra I had never seen where Nolan is talking about like auditioning batman for for batman begins and they show you the screen killian murphy who's in that movie obviously is the villain mm. the scarecrow was sort of the runner-up oh, so um and they show you the screen tests that bale and murphy had and murphy's screen test is like not bad and he's wearing like the val kilmer suit or whatever uh but then you see the bale one and you're like oh he just he, he's literally there was nothing to change he had the performance like all set at the audition pro like he just knew exactly how this character should function. So like, I think that's obviously sort of a definitive Batman and that's fine, but I will absolutely stick up for the Keaton Batman. I really like the sort of mix of squirrely and psychotic that he has like in those mm-hmm. Burton movies. He's, he's great. He's still such unusual casting. Like obviously people rioted yeah. at the time and then they were satisfied or whatever, but like he is so, good at at playing mania in weird ways like and he's almost underrated now obviously on on that front but uh yeah i like that performance a lot yeah no i was gonna say keaton's kind of slightly deranged element i think it comes out in one moment in batman when he's like you want to get nuts (laughs) yeah yeah and you're like whoa where did that come from Uh, (laughs) so scary yeah there's you know clooney god bless him is the only truly pitiful batman and i love george clooney as an actor it's true and I love what he did with his career, but he looks so lost in that movie. There's no take, obviously. That movie, that movie doesn't really have anything for Batman to do. And his most sort of pathetic moment is when he shows up, and Mister Freeze is like, "I'm Mister Freeze," and he's doing, it. and he's like, "Hi, Freeze, I'm Batman." It's like, what, this is how you behave? You just like introduce yourself. <laughs> <laughs> They're at an ideas festival. <laughs> That's the vibe of those Schumacher Batman movies that I do kind of like, where it's like, we're throwing a society ball to open the new wing of the museum. Everyone's invited. The mayor, Batman, like, and Batman's just like, hi, how's everyone doing? Walking around in a rubber suit. (laughs) Oh, boy. He should be doing detective work, asking the questions, chewing the gum. Right, he should be, yeah, gum gum chewing. Solving the riddles. Whatever. We should see more riddles in the next movie. Batman should get into Wordle. Absolutely. Yeah. Or spelling bee. Sudoku. Yeah, right. Sudoku. Puzzle solving Batman. Yeah, that should be the Riddler's new thing in the second one. He's only sending Sudokus. <laughs> that does it for this show. The review is produced by Kevin Townsend with help from AC Valdez executive producer of Atlantic Podcasts is Claudine Abade and our art is by Charlie Lemignon. I'm Sophie Gilbert. Thank you, David. Thank you. Thank you, Spencer. Thank you. Uh, We'll be back next week.
Kevin, do we want to try a different game or is that one good? I think that okay. one's good. <laughs> we, can, we can call it on that. On the games. I like I like the idea of the wordler finishing things out with the wordler. <laughs> wordler. wordler. <laughs> that dastardly wordler's up to it again. <laughs> He's not even letting me use my vowels again. I can't do a wordle joke. Forget it. I did another double letter. <laughs> <laughs> killed my streak. 